I thought that's how you were going to start the episode. Like, who is this extra person? (laughs) (laughs) What are they doing here? (laughs) Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Keep It Fictional, a podcast for book lovers, by book lovers from the Port Moody Public Library. My name is Corrine and we are very happy because today is a special day. Today is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to celebrate the brand-new international holiday of Gabriel Day. Today, we join within our ranks a brand-new book friend, in addition to our regular book friends, Virginia and Fiona and Liz. We have our special person of the day, Gabriel. Welcome, Gabriel. Thank you. Happy to be here. Excited to talk about some some good books, or I think they're good books anyway. And hopefully they are. Um, Yes, so we're so glad that you're here on your special day. So to welcome you to the podcast and welcome to to the Port Moody Public Library, what we did is we had you share your 10 favorite books, your, your top 10 picks of all time. We each went through the list and chose one to read. I'm I'm curious, book friends, was this a difficult choice to make? I know there were some negotiations that went on behind the scenes. Um, Gabriel has a very interesting mix of classics and graphic novels and 1,073-page novels. Um, There was a big mix of things, Gabriel. And, And I saw some, like, themes in your reading, which was very interesting. There was, like, the theme of, like outsiders coming into like a brand new society and figuring it out and and people getting caught up in these giant world-changing events that they have no control over. Yeah, so I'm, I'm curious, Virginia, was it hard to pick which one, which one to read? Well, that was a couple that I already read, so I feel like it was cheating if I do those, so I couldn't. And then there was one that I'm like, nobody picks this, please. Nobody picks this, please. Nobody picks this, please. So and nobody picked it. So it all works out for me. Fantastic. What about you, Fiona? I remember that a little bit differently. I think it was like an immediate, like, this one's mine from Virginia. <laughs> Who knows? Um, uh, I had an easy time. There was one that I have read and love, but it's been so long that I feel like I can't do it justice. And then there was a graphic novel. So that was an easy pick. <laughs> I see. I see. What about you, Liz? Because we're all about truth and honesty here on Keep It Fictional, despite the name of our podcast, I am going to say it was a little bit difficult for me because we're not reading twins. I learned that about Gabriel like right away. We're not reading twins and that is okay. So I took it as an opportunity to read something that I was kind of thinking about reading for a while, but it wasn't like high priority. So thank you for this opportunity. Wonderful. And you know, there are no reading twins here. There are no reading twins here. Um, But maybe Gabriel, if you'd like to kind of like introduce yourself and say a little bit about yourself as a reader. Hi, so I'm Gabriel. I'm actually from 
uh, Ontario, but I have come to join the Port Moody Library and I'm excited to be here. In terms of reading, I think I'm very much someone who you often hear people talk about how they they say that the book is better than the movie. And maybe in a lot of cases, that's true. But I have a very hard time committing to stories or pieces of fiction that I don't already know that I'm going to get something out of. And so for me, movies and or or video games or even comic ad, like adaptions of things are a really great way for me to under, like understand a story before I decide to kind of go in and tackle it, especially maybe in a long form. So I think, especially for me reading, I know that I will probably get very emotionally connected to the story going in. And so I want to make sure that that's something that I want to happen. And movies are a great way of doing that. So I think in terms of in terms of being a reader, uh, as was mentioned, I do like some of the classics. Uh, I definitely like a lot of young adult stuff. I like a lot of genre stuff. So whether that be science fiction, fantasy, or um, even horror, although I didn't really I think include too many horror things in my top 10 stuff like that. I, I really love how uh, different authors can play with genre in the same way that you might see in a film. Very interesting. Very interesting. I love that you have like such a deep connection with what you read that you're like, okay, I want to make sure that I want to make sure that I'm going to like these people that I'm going to spend some time with. <laughs> which feels super fair. All right. So all of us chose one of Gabriel's top 10 books to read. And why don't we start with Virginia? Since apparently, depending on who you ask, you claimed this one right out of the gate. So which book did you choose? Pretty sure I did it. I like subtly hinted as, hey, give nobody wants this. <laughs> maybe, maybe I can have it. Anyway, um, so to no surprise, my book friends here and also to listeners, I kind of gravitated towards the more fantasy-ish title on Gabriel's list. Um, so I end up picking Six of Crows by Lee Badugo. This is a young adult book, first book in a duology, and it is set in the same world as Badugo's more, probably more well-known series because of the Netflix adaptation Shadow and Bone. And very curious later on to find out from Gabriel whether they actually watched the show first before that. But anyway, I feel that even though it is set in the same world, and if sometimes if you look up Six of Crows, it would say that it's Grisha verse number four. I didn't really feel like I was missing much by not knowing what happened in Shadow and Bone, because I feel like even though this is set in a magical world, it is essentially a heist novel. And you know we love a good heist here. Um, we have to have a whole episode on heist. We talk about heist. Corinne, I think, mentioned Portrait of a Thief that is coming out. That is a heist novel. She's very excited to read about. So we love a good heist here. And so I think that if you are looking for a heist novel, I think this will be a book for you. Now, a heist, of course, we need to have a team. And our team is led by Cass. Cass is a gang leader in the Barrows, and he's making his name as a ruthless, calculating, super smart, and always one step ahead of you kind of guy. So he is definitely rising in rank, which of course makes him the perfect person to plan a heist. Because you know he's going to have contingency plans upon contingency plans because he will think about all the possibilities, all the things that could go wrong, and he will have a solution, a backup for that. So it makes him a great planner. It also helps that he is a great thief. So no locks can stop him. In fact, he's pretty sure that 
he has stolen from the guy that is sitting right in front of him right now, trying to offer him his next job. Sitting in front of him is a rich merchant, some rich guy from the council. And this guy is offering him $30 million to get something from the ice court in Fairdale. Now, the ice court is known to be the most impenetrable place out there. And what they need Cass to do is to steal or retrieve a person that is imprisoned in there. And what makes this person worth $30 million? Well, he is a scientist who has developed a modified form of a drug that can give the Grisha superhuman powers. Now, the Grisha already have certain powers in this world, kind of like magic. But with this special formula of this drug, it can give them even more powers. They can make them change states from like solid to liquid to gas, so they can like walk through walls and they can give them mind control abilities. So you can imagine if anyone get a hold of this drug, it's just going to unleash chaos on the world and suddenly that country will be so much more powerful if they have this drug in their hands. And for the Grishas who are still considered to by some to be witches, to be unnatural, to be people that shouldn't exist. These drugs are also fatal because the drug is very, very addictive. So even just taking one or two doses, your body is going to end up really, really dependent on it and you will die without getting more of it. So there's many, many reasons for a lot of people to want to keep this a secret and for a lot of people who know about this to want to get this formula including the council. So as you can imagine, a dangerous, a deadly, and nearly impossible kind of mission, just the kind that Cass probably like. And also, did I mention $30 million? I mean, Cass knows that he is going to go on this and he's going to take this job no matter what happened. And he already knows the perfect team for this. There's Inesh, the spy who can sneak up on anyone without them knowing. There's Nina, who is the Grisha, who can control your heart rate and make you go unconscious. There's Jasper, the sharpshooter, who's super good with a gun. There's Wylan, a demolition expert. Well, he's not the best, but there's another reason why he is a good asset to have on this team. And with all of that, Cass knows he still needs a person that really knows the ice court, that knows it in and out, knows about what kind of security he has, where the checkpoints, what is the break schedule for the guards. He needs someone who knows the layout of the ice court so that they can get in. And he does know someone who can do all that. But he's in prison right now. So I guess before the heist, they're going to have to go break someone out of jail first. As you can imagine, like a good high story, fast paced, even though it looks kind of chunky, it looks like a big book, but it's really a quick read because I feel like the story unfolds exactly as you would imagine a heist novel to develop. It's, I, I think sometimes there are books that sort of stick to the formula that works really well. And I think Lee DuBargo did a really good job in that. I also really um, appreciate sort of that balance between like, the tense, more tense, you know, and the lighter moments in the book, like a good high story again, good sense of humor, um, really appropriate for like 
another kind of one of my favorite tropes, a kind of a found family kind of trope here with the heist team. And I love how Bardugo has some control over that because I think bantering is usually funny and amusing, but it can very easily go over to being annoying. And, it, and I don't think she did that. So it was good to see that. And um, just like Liz said, we are keep it fictional, but we are also very honest here. So this is my, it's not you, but it's me kind of segment of my book talk now. I feel like I'm kind of lukewarm mostly towards the characters. When Gabriel was talking about how like it's really important that they like the characters, that's one of the things that I really, it's really important to me. And I do not like cats. I find him really, really annoying. I don't care what happens to him, which makes it really hard for me to get into the story. And I feel like all the characters, because they they all fit into a role that you expect in a heist novel, which is good in some way, but also like I, I didn't feel like they have enough development. And of course, it's a teen fantasy. And you know, in a teen fantasy, the thing that I hate the most, the romance. I have like no tolerance of romance. So it has so much of this like, I love you, but I don't want to show it to you. And I can't, but I can't stop looking at you. You know, I'm just a gown with it. And they're like four out of six characters act like that. So that does not work for me. But again, that is totally a me thing. I am pretty sure because I am sure these characters are beloved by many. It's just not the kind of thing for me. So um, yeah, so I, I feel like I, I think I enjoy it as I was reading it. Like, you know, it like I said, it went by really quickly. You know, I, I did enjoy it, but maybe I shouldn't think too much about it. Just enjoy the ride. I think that's what I'm going to go with. So if you like a heist novel, I think this one won't disappoint. So it is Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo. All right, Gabriel, rebuttal or maybe talk a little bit more about like what 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 do you love about this particular book? I I wouldn't I don't think I would fight anything that Virginia said. Like a lot of the a lot of the um things that you don't like about it aren't in some ways they're not even things that I are super am super fond of. I'm also not super big on when romance gets done like that and it really does happen in like you said most of those characters It's not really, but it's also not really a book that I ever read for the romance. I just kind of took it as part of YA novels and kind of moved past it. On the other hand, we'll say that I do love Kaz. Kaz is my favorite by far. (laughs) No, but, but I can see why he's not necessarily the most likable sometimes. He has some very great one-liners. I have tried playing a character like him in Dungeons and Dragons, realized it doesn't work because I cannot actually stay six steps ahead of a DM in the same way that a character could when you are writing a heist for him. So I am very fond of him. I am very fond of the universe. I also actually haven't read um, the other Grishaverse books. I've just read the uh, Six of Crows duology you had asked. I haven't actually seen the show yet. And it's because I saw who they chose for Kaz and decided that I was good without that. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so for me, I think it's the fact that it reads like a movie. It, it's I did love the banter. I loved that. I loved that it was fun. There were some like definitely uh, I, I would consider them to be like emotionally moving moments, but I don't necessarily think that's why I like Six of Crows. I would say that it's just like you said, it's a, it's a very fun read. And even though it looks like it's longer. It's not, not once you get into it. Fantastic. All right. It's only fair that if we're talking about not book twins, that I go after my <laughs> dark mirror reflection, Virginia. So I I chose one of your books and uh, it takes place in college. Ugh, 
college where the young minds of tomorrow are trained by the storied elder professors, masters of their trade, and oh, stories of college experience of like meeting all those brand new people from different places in the world and making new friends and running to classes, going to drunken parties with your new friends, having drunken escapades with your new friends, conspiring and then murdering one of your new friends and then spending the rest of the year kind of covering it up. Uh, Final exams, you know, college. So the book that I chose uh, was Donna Tartt's debut, The Secret History. And I would say this this firmly falls in and maybe created the genre of dark academia. It is about Richard Pappen, who does a staggering amount of drugs, who comes from a small suburban town in California and desperately wants more out of life. Uh, He is very much kind of... Living the experience of Catcher in the Rye slash American Psycho and really like just doesn't feel doesn't feel like he belongs in suburbia with his dad who pumps gas and his mom who buys polyester outfits. And so he decides to escape his humdrum life uh, for the secluded elite insular Hampton College in Vermont, this uh, beautiful liberal arts college that is surrounded by this forest um, where he decides to go based on finding a pamphlet um, (laughs) that it looks really good. And so he uproots his entire life and uh, somehow gets full financial aid, which I would argue is the most unbelievable part of this entire novel, is that he gets a free ride to a liberal arts college in the States, where he slowly kind of falls into a small clique of, of students studying under the exclusive tutelage of Julian, who is this kind of mysterious shadowy figure, um, a scholar, a gentleman, and uh, they are all studying ancient Greece to the exclusion of everything else. And there he is kind of brought into this this intoxicating group of friends. There's the jovial bunny, whose father is a banker. There is Henry, who is a polyglot. Charles and Camilla, who are these golden twins. Julian, affected and old money. And as he kind of comes into their world of privilege and money and power and love of language, Um, he slowly starts to learn their secrets and all is not quite what it appears on the surface. This is very interestingly a reverse detective story. At the beginning of the book, I think even the first chapter, you learn that this group of beautiful, bright young things has for sure killed Bunny and shoved him off a cliff. And Bunny is dead. Bunny is dead. And Richard is ambivalent about it. And so you kind of spend the entire... 1073 pages working backwards up until that point. So how that the why is the most important question that this novel is asking. Why did this group of friends for whom everything seemed promised and wonderful, why did they decide to kill one of their own? I loved this book. I I love a college story. Uh, Tamlin by Pamela Dean is one of my favorite books of all time. I love like like very learned people sitting around just like quoting Asian Greek at each other. Like that's, mm, that's my thing. I really enjoyed, it's kind of this strange blend of like Brideshead Revisited, American Psycho, Catcher in the Rye. And somehow everyone is really winning, even though they're all very terrible people. Um, Even the main character at a certain point, when you finish the book, you're like, oh, 
I hate him. I hate him and wouldn't mind pushing him off a cliff. Um, And yet somehow the book is so compellingly written. This is a really quite astounding debut novel for this to be her very first book and for it to be so interesting and and psychologically deep is is very, very impressive. And you know what's coming and it is how people live or don't live with the consequences of an action and a decision that they made as a group. It, it really brings me back to a quote by perhaps one of Gabriel's other favorite authors, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, which I wrote down somewhere, which is like, the lives of the rich are not like you and me. They're very, very different. And this is what this book is about. So yeah, Gabriel, Flippin' loved it. Really would encourage anyone who is looking for like, who is interested in that kind of like psychological thriller genre to really give this a try. Like it's very literary, but it's very wonderful. I gasped. I like felt things in my heart and I wanted everyone to go to detox. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, so that one is a really it's funny because The Secret History is one of those ones that almost breaks some of the rules that I give for myself when I'm reading in what I like and what I don't like. As I'd mentioned before, I know I'm going to get emotionally attached to a lot of stories very easily. And so I try to make them about people that I would like or I would enjoy. And The Secret History really doesn't have anyone that I would say that I, I liked by the end of it, with potentially the exception. And if someone has read both Six of Crows and the Secret History, this is perhaps showing my hand for my favorite type of character, but Henry Winter was the only one that I really liked by the end, just because he was always horrible, but he was the most fun kind of horrible to me because he's very cold, he's very calculating, he's very, I think, removed by a lot. At one point, someone says, Henry, something along the lines of Henry, that's that's murder, and he says, I prefer to think about it as a redistribution of matter. And it's this very, uh, <laughs> it's, it's just one of those lines that I think it's stuck with me. There's a lot of that in The Secret History, but even talking about themes in, in books and stuff that I tend to be drawn to, it's not meant to be representative of Donna Tartt's life. However, it is taken directly from her experiences and it is the sort of strange, almost, it's not coming of age because it's too late for coming of age, but it's the same strange tales you see Fitzgerald and Hemingway and others talk telling about themselves is they've decided to make their own story and their own story doesn't necessarily have to look like what really happened, but it still gets to the core of what they felt happened. And so it's one of those things that it it just hits on some notes that I, I absolutely love in a story and then others that I wouldn't normally go for, but because of the writing style and I am also a nerd for ancient Greek things. I love the idea of trying to recreate Dionysian rituals and things like that. Horrible decisions, but super fun for me to read. And so I very much like Dark Academia because I read The Secret History. So I would, for obviously, I would recommend any of these books that we're going to be talking about, but definitely would recommend that one. Fantastic. Yeah, it was really fun. It had some very like cult-like aspects, which is absolutely my jam. And there are some lines that I actually, because I read the ebook for this for the first time in my existence. And I took some pictures of some quotes that I really liked um, that I might have to cross-stitch. One of them being, the more I hear about lux- luxury barges, the less terrible death seems to be. Very <laughs> well. Liz, for that eyebrow, you are going next. Uh, which book did you choose? Okay, so I decided to go with a classic, shall we say? 
It's The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. And up until now, yeah, in all of my many years on this planet, I have never read it. Despite it being a shorter book, despite it having a lot of elements that are really attractive to me, I haven't actually read any of F. Scott Fitzgerald's works. However, I did really enjoy the film, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Haven't seen any like adaptations of Great Gatsby, but I have had that interest. I really love the Art Deco period. Um, so this book takes place in the Jazz Age, which is the 20s and 30s, um, which also happens to be the Art Deco period. So I love the architecture. I love the design elements. You know, you can see this in places like Chicago, Vancouver's Marine Building, absolutely iconic uh, sites. So visually for me, it's very stunning, very emotionally I'm like oh that is that was so good why did we move away from that that was so good yeah so that being said I thought okay great this is now my chance to like push myself to move this book higher up on my TBR and see what this is all about that being said I think in this situation I think I would have been more of a visual person and maybe I think maybe an adaptation of it in like a medium like film would have been more accessible to me however a caveat to the caveat I'm also a mood-based reader, so I don't know if, again, back to Virginia's, it's not you, it's probably me. Maybe I just wasn't in the mood for this. Although I did start an English major in my undergrad, and I got out of that. So anyways, that all being said, we reveal so much on Keep It Fictional. I should probably talk about the book at this point. So this book being narrated by a character named Nick, Nick Carraway, uh, and he has moved to Long Island. And it is um, at this place that we find other people who have also moved to Long Island, not native to the area. Um, his cousin, Daisy Buchanan, and her husband, Tom. So they all seem pretty well off, well to do, particularly Daisy and Tom. Um, Tom is a former football star and he just you know hasn't quite shaken that personality and Daisy Daisy his wife she has a young child a young daughter with Tom but you know what once a socialite always a socialite can't seem to shake that out of her now Nick happens to be neighbors with somebody who lives in a grand mansion and as you can guess it is the enigmatic Mr. Gatsby. Now, he throws all these opulent parties very frequently, no expense being spared, and anybody who wants to see and be seen will, even without invitation, just show up. And how lovely is that? How welcoming is this mysterious Mr. Gatsby? Uh, one day, Nick receives an invitation delivered to his house where Mr. Gatsby has requested his presence at the next party. So Nick goes around the party thinking, you know, I should really thank my host here, but where is he? I cannot find him. And it turns out he ends up speaking to him for some time, a lovely gentleman, uh, and asks him, how do you know Mr. Gatsby? And it turns out it is the one and only Mr. Gatsby. Besides these main characters, there are a whole cast of peculiar supporting characters, um, some interesting incidents that happen leading, you know, up to uh, sort of when Nick and Mr. Gatsby um, start their dynamic together, becoming acquaintances and friends. 
I thought it was really interesting looking into this particular time period, um, looking into, I guess, this particular section, cross-section of the rich, the stinking filthy rich uh, <laughs> in America during this particular time in the 20s and 30s, which um, I imagine would have been, in contrast, a very difficult time for many other people. That being said, I am willing to give this book another chance. I did listen to the audiobook version. Thought the narrator was great, but I kind of feel like either reading it in print kind of at my own pace or um, again, visually maybe seeing an adaptation and using that as a gateway to kind of maybe visualize a bit more like what, what does the Gatsby mansion look like? What, what do these characters look like? Um, what does, what, what, you know, sort of iconic clothing and design elements from the jazz age are really representative um, and part of these people's lives. So I am willing to give it another chance. I do, I do see a lot of things uh, within the story that I feel like very intriguing. And I think maybe approached at a different time, I might've been more receptive to digging a bit deeper into that. Um, but all the while, Gabriel, I was thinking of you thinking, what is it about this book that landed it on your top 10 is looking at the entire list collectively. I was like, what was it that really grabbed you and cemented its place in this canon of yours? So I am dying to know, please, please tell me what, what I should appreciate more about the great Gatsby. Gatsby, Gatsby is a funny one. So Gatsby is on my top 10 <sighs> Because of my interest in uh, that historical period as well, like I love, I also love the Art Deco art style. I love looking into a lot of the different things that happened from a perspective of having studied the people that we might call the Lost Generation. So um, Fitzgerald, Hemingway, uh, Gertrude Stein, Pablo Picasso, all of these people, um, they were one of my interests when I did my history degree, and so. A lot of my interest in Gatsby comes not from Gatsby, the story inherently. It's something that comes from my interest in Fitzgerald and his peculiarities. That being said, though, Gatsby was actually one of those stories that I watched the movie before I ever read it. And I think for me, that was the right call. So Boz Lerman is directed um, the most recent version and everything he makes is always controversial in the sense that people either love it or hate it for goofy reasons. I I think that that the aesthetics of it really added to it for me because it was something it's a very it is a very visual story and I think you kind of have to give yourself credit for even just knowing that maybe just in the reading process like it is something that looks were everything at that age and so having a story with nothing to look at is sort of um to me almost counterintuitive but that's also me looking back at it obviously years in the future when I can watch a movie for it but the thing that really captures me I think about the great Gatsby is uh the character of Gatsby it's not so much um the other things that are going on around him but there's just something very uh poignant to me about the image of the man standing on the dock looking at the green light and hoping and I think that is what uh has always sold the story of Gatsby for me does that answer your curiosity Liz <laughs> I feel a lot better about my response to this so Thank you for that. <laughs> it it cements like, you know, me 
giving um, Gatsby another chance in the future. I would argue it's the perfect novel. But anyways, uh, Fiona, uh, you are next up. What book did you end up going with? Giving Virginia no chance to chime in on her feelings about the Gatsby. Um, Yes. So away from this intellectual discussion, no more of that. It's done. It's over. Let's talk about a fun, fun romp. Um, So I went with a comic. I'm very glad about this decision. Um, I read Subasa by Clamp. And it doesn't necessarily need this context, but I like context. Uh, Clamp is a group of mangaka. Um, there's just four of them now who work on it. And this was interesting because it draws from all or many of the different books that they've written together and kind of puts them into this multiverse scenario. You might know Cardcaptor Sakura, I think for me was the, the one that I knew the most. But I had also read Chobbits when I was younger, and it weirded me out a lot. So I think I had this aversion to Clamp. Like, I was like, oh, no, that's weird stuff. Like, I don't want to read that. So this was kind of, it It actually, like, made me lament that a lot because I was like, man, I wish I, I had read this uh, 20 years ago. Yeah, it was. I think it was published then because I would have just, like, adored this. So, I mean, I still adored it a lot now. But... This is an alternate universe version of the characters in Cardcaptor Sakura. So there is, uh, we are in the Kingdom of Clow, where Sakura is the princess, and her brother, who is always my favorite character, is the king. And Xiaoran, yes, Xiaoran, um, is this sort of, like, average citizen from another or presumably average citizen from um, another area who came with his father uh, to the Cloud Kingdom, who was an archaeologist. And he meets a young Princess Sakura at a young age. And so they develop this bond, which, uh, as they grow older, seems more and more inappropriate because of his uh, status. It's because of his status, not, not because of anything else. You know, he's just a commoner and she's a princess, but they are obviously deeply in love and possibly fated to be together. So one day, Princess Sakura decides she's going to confess her love to Xiaoran. But before she can do that, uh, they find this archaeological symbol in the ground. And... She collapses and feathers burst from her, spewing across the multiverse. And then the high priest uh, sends Sharon to, get this, the space-time witch, so that he can travel the multiverses to collect these feathers that are actually Sakura's memories and uh, revive her. There are some parallel quests going on. Um, a ninja who's just a little bit too killy. So his uh, princess who he's protecting sends him to the space-time witch so that he can learn to kill less, seems to be the, the goal. Um, and then I think the guy from Chobbits? No, maybe not. Okay, another guy who, who for unknown reasons needs to escape from his world. And so they all meet at the space-time witch and go on an adventure together with this little tiny cute ball with a face who is their guide. 
So it is just really fun. Lots of action and adventure. Uh, and it totally just brought me back to being 12 or 13 and discovering manga. And it just has everything that you want in a manga, except for maybe female characters, um, because for the whole first volume, Sakura is asleep. Uh, yeah, but definitely if like, I don't want to say like, obviously manga is for all ages, like people of all ages enjoy it, regardless of what age group it is set at but if you have if you know someone who already enjoys you know serialized manga and is just looking for the next thing to read definitely recommend this we have all of these omnibuses and I have to say as a like manga reader it's so exciting when you like see that on the shelf and you're like yes I can read this for a whole year so definitely recommended for those who are enjoying manga right now and for those who maybe want to revisit that, that joy and feeling uh, from when you have read it in the past. So I'm going to have to hold myself back from talking too much because I could talk about Tsubasa for so long. Um, so it was not my introduction to manga, but it was that was actually Inuyasha, uh, which was a few years previous to that. But in grade six, I, I would say, I discovered Tsubasa. And I think it perhaps is the most formative story <laughs> for me on here. And I love it so much. It is, it is an interesting one because it was both, I think, the first manga that I had sort of chosen for myself and got in very much into because I had friends who were into other stuff that I had been in. And so I had kind of almost inherited series like Inuyasha from them. So Tsubasa was the first one that I really got into. And it was also my introduction to fandom. So Tsubasa was the first fandom that I was ever in, which was a huge thing for me. And it was also the first time I was ever introduced to the idea of alternate universes. Because when I first started reading Tsubasa, I didn't actually know about Cardcaptor Sakura. <laughs> I didn't know about any of them. I didn't necessarily, I understood that they were going from world to world. But it wasn't until I got a little older and I started looking at other Clamp series that I realized that these were the same characters that they were finding new stories to tell about. So when I had stopped you, <laughs> when you were about to say five is from Chobits, Sharon and Sakura are both obviously from Cardcaptor Sakura, but the other two main characters were, were the only ones who were actually created for the story. So they don't appear in any other Clamp works. And those two are my favorites. I have so much, I have so much love for them even years later, but... Yeah, there's there's a lot of different intricacies about the story. It is something that I will say, um, if you were thinking of recommending to someone younger, maybe someone who was in grade six like me, that there is a point at the story at which it takes a very dark turn. It might become a little bit of an older audience. Uh, they actually had to cancel the anime when they were creating it because they didn't know this was going to happen and it was no longer marketable to the age group that they were creating the anime for. Yeah, uh, cannibalism, uh, vamp <laughs> vampirism, uh, it, it gets very dark very quickly. So keep that in mind um, <laughs> if you were going to be recommending it to someone, as it's not always the same themes or age group. It did kind of age with the readers, I would say, in the same way that maybe something like a series of unfortunate events kind of does. But <laughs> anyway, uh, so Subasa is something that I very much love. Um, I do lament uh, the lack of a lot of female characters. Sakura is the most powerful person in the universe and they had to 
<laughs> they had the Superman problem of trying to figure out what to do with someone who was that powerful. And so they put her to sleep, which is not <laughs> the best way of doing it. But alongside, if you were looking maybe for something a little bit less adventure, super, not superhero-y, but adventure superhero-y, Clamp also has another series called Hollick. And Hollick runs parallel to Subasa. And it is actually, the two worlds are intertwined. That is the story of the time-space witch that was mentioned and her part-time worker, <laughs> kind of. That's the best way to describe it, which is more about um, Japanese folktales and um, some of the more, I, I would say it's a more grounded story. So Clamp kind of has something for everyone, uh, especially, even people who hated Chobits, like me, like Fiona, like <laughs> probably a lot of people who ever had to deal with it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Virginia. But Clamp... Clamp is a many-headed beast, and I, I love them dearly. Excellent. I'm seeing a lot of Venn diagrams uh, showing up of things that people have in common. All right. Well, it wouldn't be Keep It Fictional without some existential questions. Uh, these are difficult, nay, impossible questions that we ask of all of our readers. So we're going to give each of our panelists on this special Gabriel Day to ask a question of you. Let's start with Fiona. Fiona, what is your existential question for Gabriel? Well, I only want to ask divisive questions. So, Gabriel, what do you think is the perfect length for a book? There's no answer to this. Um, <laughs> the perfect length is that it stops before it gets too much, which nobody picked this, but one of the books on my list was Les Mis, which makes it very funny that I'm saying this because Les Mis was too much about 200 pages in. But... Uh, <laughs> I think you feel that in your heart. You feel it when a book is too long. It's not It's not a page number. Mm -hmm. A very Liz answer to that question. Speaking of which, let's go straight over to Liz. What is your existential question? Okay. So uh, when you are marking your place in a book, is it a crime to dog you the page? Do you dare break a spine on a paperback and, you know, give it that well-worn, well-loved, well-read feeling? Or do your books all look like you have never even read them? So um, it depends. I actually am not someone who buys a lot of books. And so I definitely have not um, done too much dog earing or spine cracking because I know it's a library book and that someone is going to be um, inheriting that story after me. For the books that I own, um, I also am very much someone who... Uh, would like to have read it and then decide I like the story enough that I want a copy. And so a lot of my books do look unread because they maybe are or alternately are have only been read like maybe maybe once and I was fairly gentle or I just wanted to find sections of them because I just wanted to have them on my bookshelf with the exception of my number one favorite book, Good Omens, which is a wreck. That thing taped together. Absolutely spine cracked. Um, probably... Uh, disgusting from the fact that I've made everyone and their mother read it. Uh, and so it's been passed around probably almost 50 times. You know, don't think that I didn't see that little applause emoji in the corner when Gabriel was talking. I saw it and I noted it. <laughs> All right. Uh, my question for you, Gabriel, is how do you choose what book to read next? Are you like Liz and I, we're mood readers. We kind of have to like feel the vibes and the atmosphere to kind of see where we are. Um, but some people just pick up whatever or they have a specific list. How do you choose what you read next? I think I'm probably closer to a mood reader as well. Mine really tends to depend on um, 
I would say like similarly external or rather internal like stimulus, I guess, in the sense that I usually, it, it is usually an emotional choice, but it usually stems from um, me being interested in that genre, maybe because I recently played a video game and I thought that it would go along with it or saw a movie or something like that. Um, I tend to use sort of like other media um, moods and aesthetics as sort of a springboard for me to look at uh, written fiction that might have that. So, all right. And Virginia, um, do you persevere once you have started a book or are you a firm believer in DNF? Um, I'd say I'm a DNF person. <laughs> I think. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I... <laughs> finally, on this show, finally. Oh, finally. Thank you. Well, I didn't expect that. <laughs> didn't expect that answer, but I, th- I think I'm a DNF person. But I, usually books grow, go through such a rigorous process before I'm even picking them up that honestly... I haven't had to encounter that too many times. It will be more likely that I will just not finish it because something practical goes on in my life and I no longer have the time to read it. And then I don't want to have to start over. So definitely that. Um, But I have a feeling it will adapt with being on this podcast because as people said, you kind of create almost lists for yourself and things that you're interested in and uh, I'll have to actually talk about the book. So I have a feeling that there will be a lot less DNF in my life <laughs> now that I uh, now that I have to kind of tell other people about it. Well, thank you so much for your correct and incorrect answers to that. <laughs> Although it's Gabriel Day, so they're all technically correct. Yes. And I'm so glad that Virginia has someone who can start a DNF pile with. Um Gabriel, we are so happy to have you on the podcast. Uh, I, I love the way that you approach what you're going to read. I think that's going to be super interesting in the mix. Um, you have some things in common with some of our readers and some things not in common with our readers, which is just as it should be to every book, their reader, to every reader, their book. Um, so welcome. I hope that everyone's having a great Gabriel day out there. I hope that you're celebrating in the way that Gabriel would want you to. Um, And we cannot wait to hear what books you pick for our next podcast. So on behalf of everyone here in Keep It Fictional, welcome, Gabriel. And uh, we hope that that you enjoy our book talk. So thank you so much, everyone. And we'll see you next episode. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm